Welcome to the Rap Report with Andrew Rappaport, where we provide biblical interpretations and applications. This is a ministry of striving for eternity. For more content or to request a speaker or seminar for your church, go to strivingforeternity.org. All right, so I'm here in uh, Kootenai Community Church. This is a conference where, that uh, is being hosted by them. Uh, I happen to be the speaker. Uh, might uh, may or may not play some of the audios on future podcasts, but I'm with uh, two dear friends, and so I want them to be able to introduce their ministries to you. First, uh, Justin Peters from uh, a very uh, narcissistic name of your ministry, uh, justinpeters.org. You were thinking it, all of yourself, right? It, it, yeah, I tell people I stayed up all night long trying to come up with a name for my website, and, and I hope it was more just a lack of creativity than uh, narcissism. I like to think that anyway. I, I wasn't trying to be narcissistic. I just, so, you, so basically creativity is not your strong no, gift. creativity is not my strong suit at all. So, yeah. so describe your ministry, what it is. That you, I mean, you travel a bunch. I so do. what do you do? I, uh, I travel and I preach and teach, and uh, I'm, I tell people I'm most known for my work in the uh, – combating biblically combating the word of faith movement the prosperity gospel but it's not my only interest Uh, my first commitment is to expository preaching uh but kind of what i'm known for type i've been typecast i suppose into uh uh the word faith stuff but um full-time itinerant preacher that's why some of the times when i've had you out at some conferences i've run I've always had you do something else. Yeah, so, so, you so you're just dealing with the text of the scripture. Which we're going to have uh, one of those conferences in March. March. Yeah, March. We're going to. We're not going to talk about word of faith at all. We're going to talk Good. about suffering. Yeah, struggling with things like depression and anxiety and long-term, you know, disabilities. Just some people suffer. Yeah, Christians actually suffer, and, and people don't often talk about that. Right. Yeah, that's going to be in Jersey. You're going to. You're going to come to see the. Beautiful side of the country, right? Um, uh, no, the, the no, free, I, free, no. the free <laughs> side. No, you are in the free side here. Oh, here in Idaho. So I'll be actually suffering when I come to New Jersey, <laughs> <laughs> which means you got to leave your gun. Yeah, I got to leave my gun at home because yeah. I mean we can carry here in Idaho. Yes, yeah, but open I, carry in Idaho. Yeah, yeah. But the, yeah, even I can carry in Idaho, but uh, yeah, but I can't do that at home. Nope, no, you can't. <laughs> we also have. Uh, Pastor Jim Osmond, and for, he's with Kootenai Community Church, and he's he's the one putting on the conference. Yes. So so talk about your ministry. You're, you're very talkative, I <laughs> yeah, know. When, no. <clears throat> you're very talkative when there's not a mic in front of you. Right. Why is that? <laughs> because uh, I'm a, I'm fearful that this might get edited in a par, in a poor way. <laughs> there's there's no way to edit what you say in a poor way. It's all poor. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I'm, I pastor a small church here in North Idaho, um, Justin Peters. Uh, I, I have the distinguished pleasure of having Justin Peters as a member of the church, and it's intimidating speaking in front of the Doctor <laughs> of Discernment every Sunday, never wondering if maybe on Monday morning I'm going to show up in one of his video clips or audio clips for his conference. <laughs> so that's me. I get up every Sunday morning and sweat it out the grind as we work our way through a book of Scripture. So how long have you been pastoring here? Uh, 22 years this December. That's not bad. You only look like you're about 30. Yeah. So. No, I started when I was eight. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, that's not too The first time I ever preached, I was 12. So Really? Yeah, yeah. I, I had to preach out of the— Preach on green eggs and ham? <laughs> no, no. I had to preach—my uh, my, uh, bar mitzvah passage was out of the Leviticus, and I had to preach with all of my friends from school in the congregation. I had to preach on the burnt offerings. Wow. So that was my text. You don't get to choose what text. It's whatever text is on that weekend. I had to take that as my sermon text and talk on, on the burnt offerings, <laughs> the sin offerings, wow. before I really understood what sin really was, yeah. and, uh, and communicate that, take it from the Hebrew, translate it. and So, was, so I was 12 the first time I did. So. My, my first sermon, I was 22 years old, I think, or uh, no, 18, 19, I was 19 years old, and it was in this church. Actually, I came home from my first year of Bible college, and the, the pastor asked me if I would want to preach. I said, yeah, I got three messages I could preach. I, three, I preached three messages on First John. God is life, God is light, and God is love. Those were my three messages. I preached through the entire book of First John in three sermons. 
Yeah, and you do that you, today, don't you? You kind of tap the brakes a little bit. Justin, <laughs> 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 are you say, are you saying he doesn't go that quick through books anymore? <laughs> no, he's he's slowed down a, a little bit. <laughs> so, so I, I, it was really interesting. So we we got to have dinner with some different folks, and sitting around the table, everybody dates when they came to this church by not just what book Pastor Jim was in, but. What chapter of what book? Because he would be in the chapter so long. Right. So it was like, yeah, I came here in John 4. I was here in John 17. Right. <laughs> so that's how everyone dates when they came to, to yep. Kootenai. Yep. <laughs> Do you remember what book he was in when you came? I was in 14. You are in John 14? Yep. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> so, <laughs> so you slowed down a bit. <laughs> yeah, I did. Uh, from three sermons in First John to today, we're working through Hebrews. Uh, I just started chapter 4 last Sunday, and that was message number 34 in Hebrews so far. John John was over 300 messages, seven years, seven solid years. MacArthur was seven years in, in uh, Matthew. Yeah, so. and he was he was seven years in Luke, too, I think. Yeah, I think that's yeah, right. Yeah, it could be. Yeah, and, and the question really is not how – the issue is really not how long you take in the text. And the, my sure. goal is never to just grind it out as slowly as we can. It's to be thorough. It's to be deep. It's to be profound to enjoy the richness of Scripture, and the real issue for preachers is how you handle the text, not necessarily how many verses you cover. Yeah, and, you know, one of the things I, I ended up learning about you is you, you've grown up, this is, you've been here, this town, your whole life. Uh, yeah, I moved to Sandpoint when I was three years old. My family comes from this town, generations, going back generations. And so my mother had returned back here as a single mom by the time I was three, so this is the only place I've ever known. I grew up in this church in the sense that I started coming to Sunday school and vacation Bible school and youth group at Kootenai Community Church as a as a young teenager, and I got saved as a result of the ministry of this church. They sent me to a camp that's about 20 minutes south of town where the, God saved me in the summer of 1985. That's about the closest I can nail it down. It was about <clears throat> 13 years old or so, and uh, God saved me that summer, and I came back to the church and started to be discipled and, and uh, attended church regularly, and then I went to Bible college and came back, and uh, when it came time to find a new pastor, I seemed like the most logical decision, the most logical one to take it over, and, and so I did, starting in December of 1996. So now I pastor the church that uh, was instrumental in my salvation. So, I mean, so other than maybe when you were at Bible college and stuff, this has pretty much been the only church you've, you've ever been a member of. Uh, yep, only church I've ever been a member of. While I was at Bible college in my fourth year, I was nine months or eight months in an evangelical free church up in uh, middle northern Saskatchewan. And uh, I was an associate pastor there as part of my internship. But I wasn't a member there, but I was serving on staff, as it were, in with youth group and, and preaching occasionally. And Justin, how did you get out to Idaho? Because you're, you're from the deep south. I mean, we yeah. hear it in your, in your speech, especially when you say y'all, you know. Yeah. Actually, I'm expecting y'all, you know, is it all y'all? I don't know how people communicate without that word. <laughs> I, mean, I honestly don't. I, it's, it is such a convenient, useful word. I, I don't know how people communicate without well, and, it. And, and we know that you're from the south because, as we found out last night, you, you not only like frog's legs, you like catching them yourself. And I've, yeah, I've, <laughs> I've gigged my fair share of frogs. So. <laughs> yep. yep. So how did you come out here to alligator to skull in my office? That's true. I, I was that was pretty cool. I, I was as soon as I walked in your office, I was like, "Oh, that's cool." <laughs> did you actually catch that alligator? Or no, kill that it or? alligator. My mom's dad and his brother, so my grandfather and great uncle, used to raise alligators in Shreveport, Louisiana. They just oh, had, really? They just liked alligators and raised them, and that was one of them. Raise them as what? As pets or? Basically, yeah, they never ate them. They never did anything with them. They never sold them. They just liked alligators. They had three ponds, one for the babies, one for the adolescents, and then one for the adults. And they would go out to Cross Lake, catch a gator, bring it back to their property, and just raise it. They would go to the fish market and get uh, fish guts and fish heads, put them in big, big barrels, and that's what they would feed them. So how do they get the like the mid-sized ones into the bigger cage? <laughs> Into the bigger pond. Oh, they. I, I don't know. <laughs> that was before I was born, so I don't. You know, but but yeah, I mean, they were. Uh that sounds like tales that's of, south. Sounds like tales of Cro-Magnon, man. It's like uh, <laughs> if Mississippi were to put out an episode of the Flintstones, this is what I would expect to, to see. <laughs> I was thinking. I was. Th- I'm more thinking like you know, 
Crocodile Dundee with, yeah. with, with, with Justin's face on it. Yeah. You know, we give him the hat and a, a big, big knife. That's not a knife. That's yeah. a knife. You know? <laughs> My granddad used to have his own um, service station, and, and uh, that's what they call him back, the service station. And so he was, he was old school. You know, he had the hat and the tie, and car comes up. He comes out and, you know, fills your tank, washes your windows. And, but they had, now, now only Jersey is allowed to – is the only state where you have to do that. Yeah. Well, they did this by their own, you know. Yeah. In Jersey, in, the, in Jersey, we're not allowed to pump our own gas. Really? We're, the, we're now the only state in the union. Yeah, because Oregon was. Yeah, Oregon was. And uh, so they actually had it up for vote in Jersey. And the re- <laughs> this, is the that, this is why I say all good things come out of Jersey. The things that stay are a problem. We're more, I'm more than happy to give you guys some of our politicians. <laughs> <clears throat> no joke, this is what happened. They're sitting there voting on whether people should be allowed to pump their own gas. One guy from the, from the you know, the, the senator or whoever who's voting it, it gets up and says they're, they're giving their, their justification whether they're going to vote for or against. And his argument was, I'm married to a Jersey girl. Jersey girls don't pump gas. I'm voting against this because I want to have a happy home life. And there was clapping. <laughs> People, it was like, really? So that's, wow. that was what, what swayed the votes. <laughs> wow. Well, at least he thought it through. <laughs> he thought <Yeah>. it through. <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, it would have been good if Jim thought through, like, singing happy birthday to his wife yesterday. No, he plans a conference on his wife's birthday. I mean, I don't know. <clears throat> it just shows you their mutual love for the gospel. And their, there we go. Oh, and hey. Their, oh, that's an angle to. I didn't try. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's, you should have yeah. tried that with your wife. Uh, I should have gone for that. Yeah. It you know, praise her spirituality. It's a reflection of their love for their flock and wanting to – you know, equip the saints, edify. He's good at this. Yeah. He's yeah. better than you. Next time you do this, you should call him to figure out. Hey, look, I just forgot <laughs> that I booked a conference on my wife's birthday. Could you uh, help I need me you out to here? Spin this for yeah. Me. Right. How do I spin this better? And he said he wasn't creative. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I think you've been listening to the, the Word of Faith folks too long. Yeah. You're starting to realize how they spin things. Yeah. Well, the latest thing I've heard is that there, some lady went to heaven, and she says there's. In heaven, cows drive tractors. So, <laughs> I, I want to get a picture of that. Yeah. Did you? We should ask her if she got. You know, did she get any video? <laughs> so how you how'd you get out to Kootenai? That's well, why you never answered that. Yeah. Yeah. No. I mean, he's uh, been trying to avoid it. I think. So Jim had me to his church to do a conference at his church. Um, Ten March two thousand ten. March wow. of 2000. He can't remember when his birth, his wife's birthday is, but he's got that one down. <laughs> right? That right? March of two, was yeah, that? it was. We were, we, you and I met at the Creation Museum yeah. at the Wretched Creation Vacation in June of 2009. That's when you and I met. Okay. And then I we contacted each other, and I said, hey, I'd like to have you come out and do a do your conference seminar. Uh, and so the following year in March, you came out. Just okay. when it was starting to thaw out, and it was rainy, it was wet, it was cool. Yeah. There was still eight feet of snow up on the ski hill. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, rainy, wet, cool. Yeah, it's that he's, way for he's a been, month. He's been trying to convince it's that way me. For, it's that way for a month here. A month, uh huh. <laughs> so, but anyway, yeah, that, so that's that's how we met. And then, um, long story short, my wife is originally from Billings, Montana, and so this is closer to her neck of the woods. And um, we were living in Oklahoma. We didn't want to stay in Oklahoma. We got tired of dodging tornadoes there, and so. Uh, we figured well. Justin doesn't. Justin just, doesn't dodge anything well. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So I mean, yeah. So he basically passed G- Just I don't. Yeah. So yeah. so Jim basically put the same pressure on you. He's been doing to me to tell me you know we should move out here and. Yeah, I mean, you fell for it. He encouraged it, but it wasn't a it wasn't a hard sell. I mean, it's, uh, <laughs> as long as I've got reasonable access to an airport doing what I do I can live anywhere I knew we would have a good church here and it's a beautiful yeah. area when you look around it is it is why and you're and you're able here. to carry guns out Nor, here I'm not used yeah. to that in Jersey yeah my, my son my son moved to Texas he went to school in Texas so my son goes to Texas and what ends up happening he, he calls me up and is like dad do you know that people out here they have rifles in the back of their pickups <laughs> my, my response to him was Welcome to America. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> you know, he had never seen a gun before he moved out there. He was like, you know, it yeah. was a new thing for him. Right. When I was in high school, we, we brought our hunting rifles to school with us, to high school with us, and kept them in our vehicles in the school parking lot so that you could just get out of school, get into your vehicle, and zip up into the woods to go hunting after school before dark. 
Yeah, that was I, only twenty I, years ago. I could picture that in uh, in Jersey. Yeah, maybe not. All right. <laughs> <laughs> so you you've been out here for ten years then, or no, four years. Four years. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, because I think when I think when we first met, you were in Oklahoma. Is I think. Yeah. So yeah, we were living in Oklahoma. So. Yeah. Okay. So maybe we shouldn't talk about this on the air. Do you remember our very first conversation? I was telling Pastor Jim about this. Oh, you should talk about this. Yeah. <laughs> you you used a certain Yiddish word. Oh yes. <laughs> what was it? Um, Schmuck. <laughs> yes. Yes. Now that you bring that up, yes, I remember you pointing that out to me. I had no idea I was using. What Jewish it's, profanity? Basically, it is a. So, so you were up there. You got done. People want to talk to you. I just kind of. I didn't <laughs> want to take too much time. I definitely didn't want to be overheard. So I kind of waited until most of the people left, and I just walked up. I'm like, uh, Mr. Pierce. Uh, you know, being all formal, I didn't know you. And I'm like, I just, uh, just let you know. You, uh, you know, so you understand. I grew up in a Jewish home. I grew up, you know, hearing Yiddish, and and that word you used. It's basically a derogatory term for the male genitalia. Uh, <laughs> you went, oh, oh, no, I'm never doing that again. <laughs> so that, was, no that was our first introduction to each other. I, I was glad no that idea. I was invited back to, to the house where you were staying, and we got to know each other after yeah, that. Really. <laughs> it was a bad first impression, I'm sure. No, no, no. I was grateful. I was just <laughs> stunned. You know, I'm stunned that a guy who teaches against tongues can swear in so many different languages. <laughs> 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 yeah, that's why you should stay away from speaking in tongues, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, right, right. Yeah, because if there had been an interpreter there, I would have known what I was saying. And there was, and you found out. Well, yeah, actually, yeah. That's, a, that's a great illustration, though, right? You should have of, stood up and, and interpreted for me. Oh, that would have been so <laughs> funny. Oh, no. But, I mean, that, that actually is, I think, what you know Paul was saying there, right, in, in Corinthians, where you, so you could be saying something, you could be saying something, blaspheming God, and not know it, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. In, I mean, not that that word would bless from God, but right. but it's not one that I mean, we'd want to use. A, yeah, yeah. So, uh, so we're gonna. I know folks are gonna be starting to come in for for uh, for this conference, Jim. What, what's the conference about this year? Uh, we had you come out to do an equipping conference for. Uh, training people to do personal evangelism. And, and we've trained our youth, and we've trained our kids, and we've trained an adult Sunday school class about using the way of the master style approach to evangelism, law before grace, uh, law to the proud, and grace to the humble. And uh, we wanted to kick off our series of conferences uh, just equipping people to do that with a real intensive time of uh, focused attention on that issue. How do we transition from the natural to the spiritual? How do we share the gospel appropriately? How do we avoid uh, Christian jargon and... and uh, and words that we typically say, like asking Jesus into your heart, making a decision for Christ, and present the biblical gospel in a biblical fashion. So we wanted to equip people to do that, and we thought that Andrew, you, was the best person to do that for us. Well, uh, you were cheaper than Ray Comfort. For I was sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the, so I was glad after hearing who's fo- who, who's going to be following me. I, I guess I am glad that I'm first yeah. because you know Jason Lyle coming in next, then Scott Klusendorf, and then Paul Taylor. You know that'd be a hard act to follow. Yeah, they're not going to be saying, "Well, Andrew's a really hard act to follow." <laughs> <laughs> you know, so yeah, I mean, I'm hoping it'll be good. Uh, we, we got an evangelist here though yeah. with Justin Peters. I mean, most people don't think of you as an evangelist. But, uh, I mean, you share the gospel everywhere you go. Take people's dogs that they put on your lap, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's... Yeah, that was, that was a fun experience. You're, yeah, you're, I know nobody knows what we're talking about. But. Well, but we'll share it. We'll share it. You were sharing the gospel. You gave a guy a million-dollar bill, and he gave you his dog in exchange. Yes. And the dog felt that that was an appropriate time on your scooter to... Um, have a bowel movement. <laughs> yeah. Right. Uh, yeah. And yeah. Was, it was best was that, that girl going, Ah, that guy pooped on the handicapped guy's scooter, and I caught the whole thing on video. It's going up on YouTube. <laughs> I searched for it everywhere. <laughs> I couldn't find it. <laughs> yeah, just as well. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. How would Benny Hinn use that one? Hey. Yeah. Yeah, well, Benny, yeah, it's, uh, Benny would use it as... Uh, See, he touched the Lord's anointed, and look what he gets. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So who, so, I mean, like with the faith healers, things like that, who would you think is probably the most uh, dangerous of, of the different faith healers that you talk with? I'd say or one, not talk with, but talk about? Well, 
probably one of the most dangerous, ironically, is also the one that's perceived to be one of the nicest, and that's Joel Osteen. Um, I've heard MacArthur describe him as a mouth, mouthpiece of Satan. Uh, no matter how nice he appears to be or how much he smiles, he is, he is I think, with little doubt, the most popular uh, preacher on the planet. Uh, he's quote-unquote pastor of the largest quote-unquote <laughs> church in the United States of America. And I say that because he's not a real pastor and he doesn't have a real church. But um, Lakewood Church and his, his reach is global. Everywhere I go around the world, people know him, they listen to him. And uh, he's leading people straight down the primrose path to hell. Because you know, he doesn't preach. The, the I thought you might have said Beth Moore. Because Beth Moore is she, she's, getting there. Yeah, well, I thought, I thought because she's the one that's in the more conservative circles. Right. Where I think Joel Osteen, people know, people in conservative circles know he's bad news. It's the people who are on the fringe that don't know it, where Beth Moore is taking the people from more conservative churches and leading them down the primrose path to destruction. Yeah, I'm increasingly worried about Beth Moore, um, increasingly so. She is friends with Joyce Meyer, partners with Joyce Meyer. She's friends with Joel Osteen, has preached at Lakewood Church, Joel Osteen's church. So, um, yeah, Beth Moore is um, um, steadily going the wrong direction. I mean, we were just looking at a tweet of hers today, and she allegorizes, spiritualizes uh, the text, and hyper, hyper emotionally driven. Uh, and But for all intents and purposes, her theology is now just about full-blown word faith. Hmm. Uh, she's, I, it, yeah, she is teaching many of the same things that the people in my seminar are teaching. And with no small wonder, because she's associating with them and Becoming friends with them. With them. Yeah. Yeah. How long has that taken for that transition to take place? I've, I've watched her... 15 years ago and thought there was reason for not really thinking that she was a danger but just thinking that she wasn't necessarily all that deep i couldn't really see what the attraction was but in recent years it seems like she's what how long has that taken for you to see that descent just plummet yeah from what i can tell um really in the last say i would say eight or nine years um her descent has really become pronounced but in, I would say in the last five years, it is it is almost just at warp speed. Yeah, like she is just in the last five years, she is taking a steep nosedive. Yeah, in her doctrine, theology, and her teaching, uh, and become. I mean, now she's all about the social justice stuff, and uh, she's all woke and all that. I mean, she's just practically in, in every facet of her theology, she's steadily going downhill at breakneck speed. And, and it seems that. There's nobody in the Southern Baptist denomination is pumping the yeah, brakes. I wanted, to, I, I wanted yeah. to bring that because we, we talked on the Apologetics Live podcast that we did, and you mentioned that. That's the other thing you said, that no one's willing to address no, it. No, there's not a single prominent voice in the Southern Baptist Convention that dare speak a word against Beth Moore. No one raising a caution flag with her. No one in the SBC institutions, none of the seminary presidents, none of the seminary presidents are saying a word about Beth Moore, uh, she's untouchable. Why do you think that is? Because she is so enormously... If Southern Baptist (laughs) had a female pope, it would be Beth Moore. (laughs) Who who would the male pope be? (laughs) I don't know. I don't don't know that they would have All the the male popes are... Rick Warren, I don't know. All the male popes are pushing for her to be the president. Of That's so maybe she would just be the pope. Yeah, there, yeah, there's actually talk of her being the president of the Southern Baptist Convention in a couple of years. Yeah. I, I don't know. Maybe I, I, you know when Josh Bice and I did the, the podcast on on the statement of social justice and the gospel, we talked about that about she was going to. Yeah, you know, they were thinking of having her as the president. And my issue was, I, I'm not against Beth Moore being the president of the Southern Baptist because she's a woman. Right. I have an issue with well, her being uh, not being the president because she's a heretic. <laughs> yeah, and 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 yeah, and I would say both. I mean, the Southern yeah. Baptist Convention, at least theoretically, it's a theological institution, and so as a female, she should not be in a position of, of leadership. Yeah. in a theological institution. Some say, well, the SBC, it's not a church. It's just a collection of churches. Well, if she, if she shouldn't be a pastor of a local church, what makes it right for her to be a head of a, an association of thousands of churches? How does that yeah. work? I and mean, speaking to those churches. And speaking, yeah. And having authority I mean, yeah. over those churches. 
Right. Yeah. Right. Let's uh, before we wrap up real quick. Um, the the uh, you mentioned this, this uh, you know social gospel, right? You you were one of the fourteen people involved in this statement on social justice in the gospel. Briefly, you know, talk about that. What what was the the pressing need to address these issues in our day and time? There has been a movement afoot that uh, the pieces of the chessboard, if you will, have been put in place in the last number of years, more uh, more or less behind the scenes without any kind of fanfare. But once the pieces were in place, then in the last, really just in the last year, the uh, trap has been sprung, basically. But there is a, a, a concerted effort to to make social justice issues an integral component of the gospel itself, that um, the church should busy itself about writing writing social injustices, uh, perceived or real. Some of them are real, some of them are perceived. Uh, But the church should be about, uh, you know, racial sensitivity, uh, egalitarian issues. Uh, We've got to right all these societal wrongs. Well, that's not the primary mission of the church. The, The mission of the church is to preach the gospel and then hopefully, which is what we see happen, when you preach the gospel, um, it the preaching of the gospel, making of disciples, has a trickle-down effect into the culture that mm-hmm. has a happy effect on the culture. But that's a, trying to change the culture is not the mission of the church. The yeah. mission of the church is to preach the gospel, make disciples, observe the ordinances, you know, do these things. Um, one of the aspects of the social justice movement that really grieves my heart is that there are a lot of people in this movement, Kyle J. Howard would be one of them, a prominent voice in this, saying that basically Kyle J. Howard and Tabidi and Yubiwe, mm-hmm. um, if you are white, you are guilty in contributing to this systemic racism that is even in the church. And if you're white, you're guilty of it. And um, Tabidi and Yubiwe wrote an article for the Gospel Coalition, and he said, if you're white, you need to repent of the part that you played in the assassination of Martin Luther King, Jr. I wasn't even alive when Martin Luther yeah. King, Jr. was assassinated. But apparently I'm, I have some role to play in that, some fault to, to, to um, uh, confess to and repent of. And my family members, you know, just because they're white, you have some, you know, it's, it's lunatic. And when does it end? That's the end game. The end game is that there is no end game. It is a perpetual cycle of victimhood. Mm-hmm. But that's in and of itself antithetical to the gospel because none of us are victims. That's right. We're not victims. We're enemies of God. We violated his law. God owes us nothing. God owes us absolutely nothing. And so there's so many facets to this, but uh, it's... It's diverting the church's attention away from its primary responsibility, its primary mission. And it, and it, says, it, it says, in effect, a lot of the people in this movement, they're saying, yeah, the gospel is enough to cleanse your conscience and behavior from adultery, from fornication, from blasphemy, from idolatry, but not racism. <laughs> For racism, you've got to bring out the big guns. And somehow the gospel is not enough to cleanse yeah. one's heart from you know, the sin of racism. And, and I reject that. Yeah. I, I, I reject that. I don't know if you heard this, and we'll wrap up in a bit, but, you know, I had, after having signed it and having my name on there, had some people contact me, and one, one tried to argue appealing to Calvin and, and Geneva, saying, but look, you know, the, the leaders of Geneva brought Calvin in because they wanted to clean up the, the Geneva. It was a cesspool. And look, it worked. And my argument is, it may have worked, but it was unbelievers who saw something, saw the Reformation cleaning up other areas, and they thought it was the Reformation that cleaned it up. And when he came in and preached the gospel, they kicked him out at first yeah. for like two years because they didn't like the gospel. But it wasn't, it was not the Reformation that cleaned up Europe. It was the gospel that changed people's hearts. That's right. And because of that change, the, the byproduct was, yes, Geneva got cleaned up. But that's the byproduct. Even if unbelievers say this is the reason for doing it, that wasn't Calvin's reason for doing it. Right. Calvin's reason was the gospel. And yes, Geneva got cleaned up. Right. But 
we shouldn't set that as the goal. Right. The goal for Christians in the church is the gospel. Yep. Let God do the rest. Yep, that's right. At least that's my impression, my yep. opinion. Jim, you have anything to add? Nope. Nope. I think it's well stated. All right. Well, thanks for uh, well, thanks for not only coming on to the show, but thank you, Pastor Jim, for having me out here. Thank you. I, I'll, I'll go ahead and thank you ahead of time for coming out, even though I haven't seen the product of what you're going to produce just yet. <laughs> <laughs> He's got such faith. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Two. Two. Two great books and one website. Visit strivingforeternity.org. There are two books that I would like to recommend you purchase. What they, meaning people who aren't Christians, other religions believe, and what we believe. Systematic Theology Made Simple. Both are great resources, especially if you plan on witnessing to somebody. Strivingforeternity.org. Justification. This theological term is legal in nature, but to understand it, we must first understand our legal predicament. Because we have sinned against God, i.e. broken His law and thought, word, and deed, we are guilty in His court and must be punished as lawbreakers. You see, since we have sinned against an infinitely holy God, we deserve an infinite punishment. Enter Justification. This is the one-time event when God declares the lawbreaker, us, righteous in His court. It's been said that to be justified means that God sees me just if I'd never sinned. This is more appropriately stated, God sees me just if I'd been Jesus. See, Jesus lived the life we couldn't live and died the death we should have died and was resurrected on the third day. In this, Jesus fulfilled the requirements of the law and paid the fine for our law breaking. If we repent and believe in Him, God credits His righteousness to our account. Only then are we seen just if I'd been Jesus. This has been another Growing Moment with Robert Houghton. For more information, visit growthproject.org. All right, so in this segment, we're again with um, with Pastor Jim Osmond. Um, actually, there's no D at the end, but since he doesn't like to pronounce the T at the end of my name, I figured I shouldn't. I should add a D on his. You know, Donnie and Maria are probably his cousins or something. But no, <laughs> but uh, we're get, we're still here with uh, Pastor Jim, and uh, we also have with us. Um, that's our nephew. <laughs> that's our nephew. <laughs> we also have. <laughs> I have. I cannot accept take responsibility for anything that may happen in this segment. I'm just saying, anything. <laughs> it's not my fault. <laughs> But uh, we have Josh Comstock, who goes to Jim Osmond's church, and uh, we figured this might be more in the comedy section. We, you know, with Justin, we were too serious. We brought Josh in to lighten things up, and uh, <laughs> so, so actually, Josh, give give your background, and uh, don't get yourself in too much trouble. Uh, I'm only going to share this with the people who, uh, well, that would it would get you in trouble with. <laughs> that that that's very comforting. Thank you. Um, <laughs> I, I don't really know what <clears throat> what much to say. I was born in Ohio, went to, uh, uh, me and my brother were, um, lived in Ohio for five years, and my dad came home one day and decided he wanted to go to Bible college. Not really sure um, how that all transpired, but he wanted to go to Bible college, and we ended up moving to uh, northwest Indiana. <clears throat> so he wanted to go to Bible college, Hiles Anderson Bible College in Crown Point, Indiana, under Jack Hiles which uh, most people may have heard of him, or some, at least in the Baptist realm. And uh, so for 20-plus years, I grew up in Hammond, Indiana, went to kindergarten all the way through high school and even college at Hiles Anderson myself for a couple of years until the Lord saved me from that. <laughs> okay, so explain that. Cause clearly okay, so, so yeah, there's a lot of history there. It's may, got, not, may not know who Jack Hiles is. Right, right, right. Um, well, I mean, Jack Hiles was one of those guys that uh, uh, he had, at one point, his ministry was coined the world's largest Sunday school. And um, it was it was one of the more uh, humble uh, accolades that he received. And he... Uh, ran buses all over Chicago area and we I remember having memories of growing up as a kid my dad used to drive a bus and on Saturdays we would spend half the day in Chicago visiting kids on these bus this particular bus route 
Um, I think they ran, I want to say maybe 300 buses. I could be wrong, but it was, it was, it was a lot. And they had Chicago and Northwest Indiana segmented out. And, um, every <clears throat> route had so many drivers, so many workers, primarily from the college. Uh, and my dad had this particular route and we would go on Saturdays and visit door to door this particular route. And after that entire day had gone by, sure enough, on Sunday morning at about 3.30, we would wake up and from Indiana, northwest Indiana, drive to the, the bus center, as they called it. Um, and, uh, boy, this is Providence right here. This is one of my Hiles Anderson buddies that's calling me right now. <laughs> He's already listening. Um, <clears throat> so you, you didn't realize that they had the, they had this bugged. I mean, it's like no, you know, no. You thought this was just a regular mic, but no, no. The <laughs> right. fundamentalist, fundamentalist Baptists are listening in. <laughs> that's right. So uh, Josh Musser, I will call you back. Um, so <laughs> any anyway, I uh, we would wake up on uh, Sunday morning bright and early and go to the bus center in, in Illinois, pick up this bus and warm it up because I remember the dead of winter for whatever reason. And then we would drive that bus to go pick up the bus kids uh, that entire route and try to be back for Sunday school by 9.30 that Sunday morning. And so from 3.30 in the morning all the way until about 10 o'clock that night, we were going nonstop on a Sunday because 9.30 was church, 10.45, or I'm sorry, 9.30 was Sunday school, 10.45 was church. And then we would have um, some kind of program in between, and we would take the kids back home after church was over that wanted to go home. And then those who wanted to go to night church, as we would call it, would, we would take them back to church. So <laughs> we were into Chicago and back home at least uh, two to three, yeah, about two times a Sunday. And then Sunday night church started at 7, and after that was done, we would take them back home. So we would drop the bus back off at about 10 o'clock and get home close to midnight, all in time to go to school the next morning at the private school at 8 (laughs) o'clock. So that was my typical Sunday for many years, actually. No, for Jack Hiles, folks who may not know, I mean, that's the Funnels Baptist circles, Mm -hmm. um, very KJV only. Correct. Which was it, it, it was interesting because um, you, I remember as a kid growing up that uh, Jack Hiles would talk about the quote unquote heroes of the faith of his era, and one of them being John Rice, John R. Rice, mm. and um, he would him and John R. Rice would preach several places, and and uh, I didn't find this out until just a couple of years ago. So I mean, we're talking twenty five years or more. 30 years, perhaps, I didn't know this. But I found out through uh, this amazing thing called Google (laughs) that uh, John R. Rice did not subscribe to KJV only. He actually, I believe, uh, uh, used an American standard, if I'm not mistaken. Really? He did. And And he was allowed to to speak with... Heibel? He he worked. He, yeah, him and Heil spoke together. I I was wow. too young to ever remember John R. Rice preaching at our church. I don't even know if he did. Um, we got to the to Hammond, Indiana. I think in 1984. Um, so uh, I don't remember much about that. As you know, I was only five years old. So um, anyway, but uh, I asked my my folks about that, and it was it was. Um, one of the, it was just a very awkward conversation that I never really got a straight answer. It was just kind of like, well, funny, I'd never heard about that until my own research, but yeah. they conveniently left that part out about John Rice. Well, you know, and, and for folks who may not be so familiar with KJV, I mean, there's some that aren't because, you know, outside of some of the Baptist circles, people don't make a big deal right. of King James, especially King James only. Uh, what, you know, and I, I was in a not a King James only church, but an only King James church for many mm-hmm. years. Yeah, uh, and then we switched to New King James. But heretic. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I mean, but that but that would be the case. I mean, it, it, I, it is because you're. They they would take, say that um, by subs- taking away from the word or um, what, what is it uh, a jot or a tittle that would yeah. be uh, that would fall under that um, belief, which is kind of different. But I mean, most people think that that's a very strange worldview or strange concept and 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 really it is I mean, well, did, did your folks believe that the 1611 was inspired or did they just say that the the textus receptus is the only manuscript that should be used or is it that they they saw that the the authorized because i mean there's for right. folks who don't know right i mean there's a 1611 which was based mostly off tyndall mm-hmm. tyndall's translation uh, 
like 75% of it was was from Tyndale. And then you had the 1611, but it, it was updated several times. I think the last one was uh, 1769 or something yeah, like that. Yeah, 69 or I thought it was 80. But yeah, but it's, it's the 1700s. Mm-hmm. And that's actually the one that most people are using. Mm-hmm. It's, the, it's the 1700s version, and, and it's called the authorized version, not the King James version, right. which most King James folks don't realize they're not actually using the King James. Right. <laughs> Um, it's an interesting question. Uh, it it kind of segues into a different topic that has not been brought up. But after Hiles died, his son-in-law took over the church, Jack Scop. And all any of the listeners have to do is Google Jack Scop, and they'll be um, buried with information on that whole ordeal. <laughs> but I remember I had I had no longer um, gone to the church because I was I had moved away. And there was a big controversy within the first couple of years of Scop taking over. Not that controversy, but a different one that you're thinking of. Which controversy are you thinking of, Jim? (laughs) He's thinking of one that involves state lines and a minor. However, However, the the other controversy that that I'm referring to is a controversy about um, is the King James Version uh, inspired? And... I'm I'm trying to remember back to the conversation because there, 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 this was a big to do. Under Hiles's ministry, he had many um, wealthy benefactors that would help donate to his ministry. Um, Jack DeCoster was one of them. Uh, Russell Anderson was another one of them. Which the college is named after Russell Anderson and Jack Hiles, hence the name Hiles Anderson. Um, and after Hiles had left and Scott took over, there was this um, dust up over the whole. Uh, authority of the King James and whether or not it was inspired. And if my memory serves me correctly, the the instance that Scop came down on was that God's word itself is inspired. The King James translation is not. It's just a translation. And that um, actually is correct. And he took a lot of flack for that. And in fact, people like DeCoster and Anderson, from, from what I understand, pulled all their money out. And they were they were done supporting the ministry, and even went as far as uh, I think Russell Anderson even went as far, and I mean they publicly wrote letters that were out to all the fundamental Baptist churches because you got to keep in mind I mean we we would joke around as kids that that we would um, that Baptist churches across America would all point their prayer rugs towards Hammond and pray three times a day, <laughs> and so because he had such a far reach in the in the Baptist community that everybody in the Baptist realm knew who Jack Hiles was. And mm-hmm. when he passed on, there I, we were at his funeral. My dad and I were his uh, part of his bodyguard detail, and uh, my dad was a, a pallbearer in his funeral. And so we, we knew the family quite well, and um, we knew that people looked up to Jack Hiles and further on to Jack Scott um, and their leadership at the time. And so when Scott made that announcement, these other men that had contributed for years had, in their mind, no other choice but to make a public statement themselves, saying, we denounce this, we don't agree with this, and so, so forth. And, and, I mean, you and I talked about this privately one time, about the fact that, you know, when you, for the people who say that the King James Version, the 1611, mm-hmm. was inspired, it it's always amazes me how uneducated people are Dogmatic. about the, the actual 1611, because, you know, the, the 1611 folks who, who don't know, what. You had you had King James who, after after wars, literally between the previous kings and queens, who would say, "Okay, we're we're Anglican. No, we're Catholic. No, we're Anglican." You know, and mm-hmm. basically it was okay when they were Catholic. They they throw out, you know, the Geneva Bible that was used by the reformers, mm-hmm. and now the church, the, the state Bible is going to be the Catholic version and in Latin, and <clears throat> then you get the. So it says, no, we're not Catholic, we're Anglican, and we throw out the Latin version, and we would go back to the Geneva, and, and James wanted to put a stop to that and say, well, no, we're going to have one standard Bible that is what the King James Version was. And it and this is what most people, especially people that hold to the King James-only position, especially it being expired, don't really know, realize that King James Version 1611 included the Apocrypha, so for those who say that the 1611 was inspired, first off, then the Apocrypha was inspired. Right. <laughs> the English is very different than the English that was eventually standardized after that in, in the 1700s. So it's it's not even the same English. The words are different, and they don't use that one. 
Uh, the other thing I always I always point out is that if if the sixteen eleven was inspired, then God is a God of confusion because we have we do have English words for words like baptize. I mean, we have an English word to translate that, but they couldn't translate baptismo as dip or plunge when they sprinkle. Right. And so they created a new English word. So that would basically be saying that God is a God of confusion, confusing people in an inspired version if we're going to hold their, their view. Well, it wasn't that, that was the only thing that was inspired. It was also the table of contents to the BAPS. All of it was inspired yeah. from cover to cover. And um, if your table of contents varied from mine, then you might want to get it checked. Well, the thing that's interesting with that is if you actually look in a, in a 1611 and you get the actual 1611 and you're going to say that, well, you have a real problem because in the introduction, it actually says that there will be later updates that should happen, <laughs> right? I mean, that's the thing. Like, so you're saying I do this, remember seeing that, yeah. if this is inspired, then the updates must be inspired. <laughs> so, hey, New King James must, must be fine. So... So that, that's a little bit about your background. Let's, let's talk the conference is now over. We, we talked to Justin. The, the conference hadn't begun yet. Right. Yep. And so so let's talk about that. Although Josh is tired because he was, he was sitting in the back on his phone the whole time running the soundboard, <laughs> I, as I, I saw. I mean, it's, it's hard work for him. It's exhausting. I know. It was exhausting. Yeah, that that you know, Tetris game he was playing mm. must have really taken a lot it, out it was, of it. It was actually Temple Run, not, not Tetris. But Okay. I don't know what <laughs> Temple Run is. Okay. <laughs> So how do you feel that the, the conference went? I think the conference went well. We had a good attendance. Um, I was talking with a few folks uh, from our congregation about the attendance numbers. We have a church of about 200 people on an average Sunday, and we had 125 people there for an evangelism conference. And I, I was discussing this with you that there's a lot of mega churches or churches of 1,000 people that if you had an evangelism conference, you might you, you would be lucky to get 100 people to show up for something like that. It would be probably something more akin to like a small group Bible study that you would have of 30 or 40 or 50 people, even in a church that big. So I was really delighted to see that number of people out and engaged and interested in evangelism and, and asking good questions. And obviously the, the people that, that attended uh, yesterday and today have been involved in personal evangelism. They've been talking to their friends and their family. And because uh, a lot of the questions that they asked during question and answer had to do with um, you know, I have witnessed to my my friend or my family, or how do I engage a friend or a family member I've witnessed to before, and they've blown me off. How do I how do I engage somebody that is is openly hostile to me? A lot of questions like that. So I think it was very good. I think it went well. It was well received, and I heard a lot of good comments. And I'm very grateful that you came out. I, I, and you know, like I shared with you, I mean, my hope is that this will be sort of spark the church, encourage church to actually form their own evangelism team to go out, not just. Mm-hmm. You know, I know there, there was, because we did that bonus segment on, on open-air evangelism, so a lot of people are like, oh, I'm not ready for that. But, you know, I said to folks, it's like, you don't have to do that. Just create a team and encourage, if there's some people that want to do that, great, but everyone mm-hmm. else, hand out tracks and, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm hoping Josh gets saved by the end of this. <laughs> that would be great. <laughs> well, you know, I was actually one of the ones who asked Jim about whether or not we were going to go to the streets and hit downtown Sandpoint, yeah. because... I still have PTSD in my days of these preacher boys going to Chicago, knocking down bar doors. And I remember you saying that you've met most or a lot of street evangelists that have done it wrong, that you just, you would prefer they wouldn't do it the way they do. And the entire uh, list of people I went to Bible college with, they would be probably on that list. So I was a little bit uh, scared when when he mentioned that you were going to go do that, because that's my only experience in that realm. Since we're talking about independent fundamentals, Baptists, and evangelism uh tell andrew now see i know what questions to ask because i have discussed this with josh so many times so i know exactly which questions to ask so sorry are you going to ask questions that, that, that no, put I'm him not, on the spot like no, you did me up there no, no i'm not going to playing ask, videos and i'm going to try and ask not ask questions that will get josh in trouble with any, anybody who listens to this podcast but um tell us about the pentecost sundays you, that they you actually, oh yes. you actually not to worry no one actually listens oh that's good yeah. <laughs> Um, I want. I forget. Pen- there's a Pentecost. Sunday. Yes, there, it was a Pentecost Sunday that Hiles wanted to do, and you can Google this and, and read different people's accounts. But, but my recollection, and I want to say I was in junior high, perhaps around this time. Uh, they they wanted to uh, baptize five thousand folks in one Sunday, and so they would go out and they had um, all of these. Uh, uh, horse troughs that were converted into baptistries, and they took them all over Chicago, uh, all over Northwest Indiana, 
and they were okay. First of all, you need a little bit of a background. <clears throat> when I grew up with with um, evangelism and basically how to witness to anybody, the only thing that I was taught was strictly the Romans Road. Okay, that was it. Okay, yeah. um, and a lot of it, even though folks in my family will say that they don't believe this personally, but it, it was still what was taught there. Came across as um, one, two, three, pray after me, easy believism, right? <laughs> um, and, and, and not only that, but childhood conversions. And, you know, if you were seven years old and didn't, uh, wasn't, weren't saved and baptized by the time you were seven, people kind of looked at you funny, you know. Yeah. You were, it was expected. Well, and, and and part of it, I mean, to, to be clear, right? So the, the, typically not Calvinistic. Oh no, definitely and, not. And therefore, it is almost the parents' responsibility to have their children saved. I mean, I, I yeah. because I'm also from the fundamentals Baptist yeah. circles, and so if, if your child wasn't saved, it's almost as if it's the parents' fault. That is correct. You know, because they must not have explained the gospel right or raised them right, as right. if the parents can save the children. Yeah, and and not only that, but I mean, I mean, Bible schools and even Sunday, some Sunday school teachers. I mean, it was that it it was almost like a trophy to an. Ex- I, I hate to say that, but to to see who could be the the one to to quote unquote save that child. You know, who was responsible for it? Um, and and there are there were some good people. I mean, good sincere folks that I grew up with. But generally speaking, evangelism was definitely. Um, it was very uh, on the surface, and yeah. it was. I didn't feel like there was any depth to it. Um, I know, like for me, as I've told Jim, you know, the first time I was introduced to the doctrines of grace, I told him, I said, I felt like I was lied to for the first thirty years of my life because it was yeah. just, it was all a completely new concept. But anyway, so all that being said, when we'd go door to door, soul winning, as they would call it, or um, evangelizing. Um, I remember in our youth group, we would also have these big days in our youth group. We had a fairly large youth group of probably you know, a couple hundred people, I'd say. Um, and so we would do these uh, teenage soul winning marathons where we would have um, youth from junior high all the way up to high school. And we would go out for an entire Saturday and have some goal that we were, you know, trying to reach or whatever, 5,000 souls saved in a day or whatever that is. That just seems so, you know, astronomical. But to us, it was doable because of how we did it, you know, the methods, yeah. right? Because you just needed someone to, to pray a prayer. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. And so we would, I, I have these, these vivid memories of driving around Chicago. And my buddy Josh, who just called me, he, could, he would vouch because his dad was actually one of our drivers that we would drive around Chicago and, and just have a great time. But we would look specifically look for sports teams because of the large numbers. And we knew that, you know, if you have a bunch of white guys going into an all-black community, you were one of two people, the police or the church. We were the church. <clears throat> and so they would see us coming and from a mile away, and, and we would we would um, get the entire team there. And here you have some, you know, 15, 16-year-old kid giving a very basic Romans Road presentation in under seven minutes if that and basically now bow your head and pray this prayer now it's not the prayer that saves you but repeat after me right <laughs> and so and and that's and so you'd walk away from that i have 33 people saved here in, you know in five minutes ago right yeah and and that is literally i remember our vehicle our vehicle just by ourselves there was i think eight of us in a minivan on one saturday again junior high high school age boys Claimed that in one Saturday we won a thousand souls to Christ. If wow. you can believe that, and and looking back, it, it horrifies me, you know. Yeah. But at the time, that's just how that's how the foundation was built. And so for these big days that that we had, um, that's the that's kind of the background of these big Pentecost Sundays. And so what Hiles wanted to do is have I think five thousand baptisms in a day, and or maybe it was three thousand. It's been so long ago now, I can't remember. But regardless, both is astronomical, <laughs> and. Um, and I remember it was sitting on the those who have been to that church, the old auditorium. I was sitting in the balcony piano side on the overhang when they made the announcement of whatever the number was. But we hit our goal and then some. 
And the entire church just went nuts, you know, for about three minutes, just, you know, clapping and hooping and hollering and all this great stuff because we had baptized. Fundamentals, Baptists are not allowed to hoop and holler. (laughs) Oh, no. No. We had had an amen section (laughs) where if you were a college preacher boy, you could sit in these particular sections around the church and you could hoop and holler. It was not us. It was something. I mean, our our preacher, Hiles, would, would knock down microphones, kick them down with his, you know, just kick them down just to get a rile out of the crowd. See, we, and, um, we, nowadays we just get to see, you know, uh, 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 what's, what's his name that, that kicks the people with his boots? Todd Bentley. Todd Bentley. Todd we Bentley. just see Todd Bentley <laughs> kicking things, you know? Yeah. yeah, so, I mean, that that was kind of the, the foundation when you understand how evangelism was done. And anybody who got baptized at that church was considered a member. So if you were to look at the baptism records, you could say our church had 150,000 members or so. <laughs> but, I mean, you only had, we, we averaged anywhere, from, the old auditorium sat, I think, 5,500. And it was full every Sunday. And we had approximately 10,000, 12,000 folks a Sunday on the campus between all the ministries. And so it was a pretty big, big deal. And then but nowhere we, near the numbers of baptized. N- <laughs> Well, not no, no. We should have had. Um, we were we were the third largest property uh, owner in the state of Indiana at one time, um, with all the buildings and things that we had. But even if that, um, if, if they were true converts, yeah, we would have had you know high five figures for sure every Sunday. Yeah. You would think. You'd think, and, and you know, and it, it really the thing that strikes me is this: something we talked about this weekend is <clears throat> the pride you end up seeing in folks, where it's like, oh, look, I. I did this. I, I got all these souls, right. and it, it becomes a it becomes a competition in pride, which right mm-hmm. there should help people to realize there's a problem, right? <laughs> <laughs> like this is not about us trying to win souls for our bragging rights. I mean, now bragging about justiniwin.com. That's that's fair. That's fair. <laughs> that's fair. And and we should say for the record, since since we recorded earlier with Justin. Since since that recording, I, I think he won one battle. Yeah, he did. This was interesting because uh, Andrew's been trying to get people to go to Andrew's ministry and donate. So we Wait, were giving I, I away. Was trying to get to who's? Oh, sorry, Justin. <laughs> yeah. Justin's that was a Freudian ministry. slip there. It was. Uh, get people to go to Justin's ministry and donate at justinaiwin.com. So oh yeah, you're going to tell we, the story. <laughs> we had a we had a drawing a raffle. We handed out tickets to everybody who registered, and we were giving away books and things throughout the course of at the beginning of every session throughout the course of the weekend, and. Uh, at one point, I had gone back, and there was two of these Mormon answer, giving gospel to Mormon Sharing books. the good news with Mormons. That's it. Sharing the good news with Mormon books left. We wanted to give away one, and then we're going to raffle off the last one to the highest bidder, all to support Andrew's ministry. Justin found out about this, and the very first very first offer that I had of a nickel, Justin raised his hand, and, and then he started bidding, and Justin bid it up to $50 for this book, just to give Andrew the money. Wait, wait, wait. Bid it up to $50 for this book. But and who then was he bidding against? He was bidding against nobody, because after he himself. got to 50 bucks, <clears throat> I'd say, is there 55? And Justin would raise his hand. Do I hear 60? Justin would raise his hand. He bid himself up to 125 bucks just to give it back to Andrew. So Justin had his, his swing at you. <laughs> He, he not only that, but I think there's some some pictures. I think you're going to get the, those pictures up to. Uh, oh, just, we, yeah, we'll add them to the justiniwin.com and. Uh, yes, we're, we're just so bad, round two. Justin won, so I had I have I won round one at Shepherd's Conference. Justin, I think, was won round two thanks to Jim Osmond here, who uh, <laughs> says, "Hey, I got a great idea. Let's raffle off a book to the highest bidder for for donations to your ministry." And, Justin was like, as soon as I heard there was going to be a raffle off of the, you know, or, or a bidding on, on, he said, I knew exactly what I was going to do. Yeah. And a little bit more background on Josh. Josh is the one who does our website, our podcast, our audio work, uh, any video work, our graphic design, uh, all of that. Josh is the one who does that. So if you've benefited from the ministry of Kootenai Church, that's uh, due in large part to Josh's faithfulness. Not, and, not from the preaching from the pulpit. It's, it's all you, Josh. It's Josh, yeah. It's, it's all you. So, and one, one other thing we should we should point out here. Can you tell them about pickle evangelism? About, about what? Pickle evangelism. Oh, my goodness. Okay, so. Pickle, yeah. pickle evangelism. Pickle evangelism. Pickle, yeah. pickle, is, this, yeah. is this pickle evangelism the son I should include this is, in, this is in, something in you my... Should, you should have a whole whole session just on how oh, to do yeah. pickle evangelism. You know, I mean, one thing we do, we talked about like the hand signals we do. One of the things I didn't talk about that we do in our, our evangelism team is we use the word pickle. And pickle, pickle, because we want a word, basically, especially in New York, you, you want some way to tell everyone, hey, I just saw something and don't look that way. And we used to say pickles 
and then we tell you the, the way there's a problem. But the problem is if I say pickles left, everyone looks to the left. So now, now if, if there's something I see to the left that no one should be looking at, I just go pickles <laughs> right. It means we all look right. We had a real problem with that in New Orleans. <clears throat> we the pickles everywhere. It, it was. <laughs> we're sitting there. It was like pickles right, pickles left. I heard Jennifer Peplin goes pickles up, and I'm like, I'm looking down. What is going on? Like my head to the ground. So I don't think that's the pickles of Angelism you're, no. you're, you're no. talking. No. <laughs> so, like, he's got his head down. If only. <laughs> Um, I remember, <clears throat> I, I won't, uh, mention the, the guy's name. Okay. So you're going to, you're going to change the names to protect the guilty. Yes. So let's, <laughs> let's, let's, let's pretend his we'll name. We'll call him Jim. Jim. Yeah. I was going <laughs> to say that actually. <clears throat> so let's say his name was Jim. Uh, he was what, what we would consider our bus captain. Okay. So every bus route had a bus captain that was in charge of that particular route. Okay. You can see the hierarchy here. It was complete, you know, network marketing at its final, finest. <laughs> Um, Within the Baptist Church. Yeah, it was like, you know, one big pyramid. Um, So every bus route had a bus captain. And our particular bus captain, to help on one of these big days, I mean, keep in mind, we were going into the ghettos of Chicago, Cabrini Green, Robert Taylor Homes, these areas, which some of them aren't even around anymore. But, I mean, this is a rough, rough neighborhood. And... um, and for me, growing up, I, I grew up in Gary, Indiana, which is you know ninety five percent black. But we we didn't know any different. We had a good time growing up. We had a great childhood. Uh, lived in a trailer park, so I was white trash with you know multicultural neighbors. I mean, we just that's just how we that's how I was raised. Um, and so for Chicago, we <laughs> this guy, in order to get numbers of salvations and baptisms, would offer. A, he had a big jar of pickles. <laughs> you get you get in the water, you get dunked, you get a pickle. And so, I mean, and at the time we thought, boy, this is a great evangelism tool. We're getting all kinds of people saved. Well, of course you are. <laughs> and not one of them are actually getting and saved. And not one of them are actually getting saved. Actually, what you're doing, I mean, what that produces is false converts. People, oh, yeah. People that think On the saved. serious side, yeah, yeah. It's, it, it's scary. It's but <laughs> And we'd have, they'd have silly contests where... The most, uh, if you would hit a certain number on a bus, people would swallow goldfish and all these crazy things just to to get the biggest crowd possible. But the one, I, the one that really stood out to me was was the pickle evangelism, where they would. That's how they would uh, get crowds, get them to come. And 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 as a full disclaimer here, because I don't want. That it was just that one particular person on that bus route. The church as a whole did not condone that. <laughs> Have you have you had pickles since that day? <laughs> Not like that. <laughs> Not like that. Well, I, I you know I think it was good. I think you know it, it was a good weekend. I think a lot of folks. Uh, I mean, my impression was a lot of people felt that they, that was a good time, blessed time. They hopefully learned a lot. Um, we still have uh, still have tomorrow for, for Sunday, so that'll be good. Yep. I hear you're doing uh, Jesus Calling book reading. Yeah, I was I was thinking, but it was a tough call between you know that, and I I was thinking maybe um, or Truth or Territory that you haven't read yet. No, I, no, no, that I haven't read. I, okay. I won't read that book. No, no, no. that's uh, Jim Jim. Uh, what's what's that guy? That uh, Osmond. Yeah, Osmond. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With the day. With the day. With the day. Right. And so uh, no, I won't. Uh, Truth and Territory. No, no. But may, maybe Joelston. He's got some good stuff. Yeah, I could read. I am. Isn't that one of his? You know, I don't follow Joel much, but I have plenty of books from Hiles that I could bring that you could do a study. Yeah, there we go. Like, there we yeah. go. Like Meet the Holy Spirit. That was a good one. <laughs> or the Hiles Church Manual. If you know, need to know how to build a church from Sunday school lessons to how to arrange your platform, I can get it to you in the Hiles Church Manual. Because <laughs> I can tell you're doing it wrong. So. Yeah, obviously. Obviously. Yeah. <laughs> and that's the other thing, too. You can go to. Okay, so those who are. who. <laughs> Those who grew up Fundamental Baptist can, can relate. You can walk into any Fundamental Baptist church across this country and, and walking in not knowing necessarily what they believe, but, but you can look at, A, how their platform is set up, or B, the missionaries hanging on their wall, and you know exactly where they stand. Yeah, yeah. I, I remember, actually, uh, we had one missionary in our church who, when we, when we changed the name of the church from Baptist to Bible. How it, dare you? Well, he quit. He, we were giving him money, and he said, I don't want your money anymore. Well, have, <laughs> like, have, wow. you ever, have you ever had a church named after yourself? 
Like Rappaport Baptist Church? Uh, no, no. I would hope that never, ever happens. Well, you know, our, our, um, there is a Hiles Baptist Church in Virginia. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, that I know. Yeah. So. Yeah. So something you can uh, aspire to. That's right. Yeah. You know, Osmond Baptist. <laughs> yeah. Osmond Church of the Bible. Osmond Memorial Baptist you Church. It, maybe start changing the name on me, and I'm going to excommunicate both of you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it'd be easier to pronounce than Kukuni Kukuni Kukukamani Kukuni Kukunusa. <laughs> so Kokanee is a fish. Kokanee <laughs> is an Indian tribe. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, thanks for coming on. It was fun. We had a, we we actually the three of us could be dangerous together. Uh, I think I think the brainchild of Justin, I win. <laughs> I came up with the idea. You grab the domain, and well, it's been a lot of fun. I encourage you to go to justiniwin.com Donate to Justin Peters. Just remember to put in the comments. Put hashtag Justin I win. Let your friends know. Make sure you hashtag Justin I win. Tag him in it just so he knows that you know I have the bragging rights and I'm winning on this contest. So I think we're gonna have to have the final the final uh, battle at, at ShepCon, which I'm going to. You're going to I'm ShepCon. Going to Shepcon. I, suddenly, I don't feel like going anymore. I think I'm, I think I'm sick. <laughs> All right. Well, f- thanks for joining me, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Would you consider donating to Striving for Eternity? This ministry is one that tries to reach out to some of those smaller churches that most people, most speakers, want to avoid. But by our monthly donors, it allows us to get into smaller churches and provide for them the seminars and conferences that usually only larger churches can do. We can do that because we have monthly supporters who on a regular basis support us so we could support others. Would you consider being one of our monthly supporters today? You can go to strivingforeternity.org slash donate and set up for a monthly donation today. Your donation helps us to be able to spread the gospel around the world, to be able to disciple others, and to provide resources for churches and people who are struggling to grow deeper in God's Word. Consider donating today at strivingforeternity.org slash donate. And we thank you very much for your consideration. This podcast is part of the Striving for Eternity ministry. For more content or to request a speaker or seminar to your church, go to strivingforeternity.org.